0: The Cloudcast is sponsored by Intel Cloud for All, driving the creation of tens of thousands of clouds. Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is The Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world.
1: Good morning, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome back to the Cloudcast. We are live from Raleigh, North Carolina in the massive Cloudcast studios. Uh, just me tonight. Um, you know, we we always like to mix things up a little bit. Uh, you know, people give us tons of good feedback on, uh, you know, they love the stuff around DevOps. They love the stuff around cloud native. Um, and and they love the stuff around startups. And, you know, sometimes we dive into different parts of things that maybe we don't cover a whole lot. But, you know, there's, there's interesting aspects of it. And tonight we're going uh, to have some fun. Um, kind of an old friend of the show, but first time on the show, uh, Chris Marino joins us. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing
0: great, Brian. Thanks for the, uh, the invitation. Uh,
1: and, and for anybody who doesn't know, Chris is, uh, we, we got to know, Aaron and I got to know Chris back when he was uh, CEO of a company called V-Cider, probably two or three years ago, uh, which sold to Cisco, but you're now uh, founder and CEO of a brand new company, uh, Pawnee Networks. Uh, so congratulations right. on that. So Thank you. Um, so before we jump into kind of what you guys are working on, give us, give us a little bit of your background. Uh, you know, I mentioned Vcider, but you've done a bunch of interesting things. Give folks who don't know you a little bit of your background and then, you know, kind of lead us into what's going on with, with Pawnee and why'd you guys get started?
0: Great. Thanks, Brian. So yeah, let me start uh, with a little bit of my background. So I'm an engineer by training, bachelor's and master's degree in electrical engineering and in, in computer science. My first job was actually designing uh, microprocessors, so my my degree was in you know semiconductor physics and all that transistor level stuff. Um, then I actually moved out of that and did product management for a while at an old systems manufacturer in the old Silicon Graphics, MIPS, okay. uh, Sun Microsystems days. But you know my first exposure to uh, networking and deep exposure to networking was actually in the, in the mid-90s with, the, with interactive television and video on-demand trials, and I got very, very involved with that. In fact, you know, I've been an entrepreneur basically my whole career and, and uh, actually left to start a, a uh, video server company. Hmm. But then just coincidentally, you know, uh, Netscape went public that year, and quite literally overnight, we pivoted to become a server load balancing company. Okay. And, uh, and that company was Resonate and uh, that company was uh, uh, pretty successful. We were competing with F5 in those days and the company went public and, and we did some really interesting things in those early days of the web. So anyway, I did a, a couple of things uh, over the intervening years, but then again, things sort of picked up again in sort of the, sort of the uh, early cloud computing revolution days of, you know, 08 and 09. And, and that's when I, I started Cider. And uh, I think it, I'd like to tell, say a little bit more about vCider because I think it relates to some of the things we've, we've uh, uh, done with, with Pawnee Networks today. You know, the very thesis of vCyder was cloud is uh, experiencing explosive growth. Yep. People want to bring their enterprise applications into Amazon EC2. And the only way they're going to be able to do that is if it has an enterprise network available to it. And what that literally meant was a VLAN. So that was really what vSIDER tried to do, was bring a VLAN into Amazon. And that's, that's what it did. And what we learned, unfortunately, was that uh, people were quite happy running an Amazon without a VLAN. And uh, that realization came to us quite quickly. And uh, the, uh, the wonderful uh, news here is that Cisco saw what we were doing and liked it. And, uh, and they acquired us, you know, you know, you and I both worked for Lou Tucker, by the way, right, right. and, uh, and, uh, we didn't overlap. So you left a little bit before we jumped in. So, but I think we missed each other by, by about seven or eight months. Yep. But, um, but anyway, you know, funny story here, uh, Brian. So, you know, when I was trying to hire product managers and, and SEs, he was always, he was always saying to me, you know, Chris, you really got to hire guys just like Brian Gracely. He was one of our best guys. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, Lou is. Lou is cur- True story. Yeah, honest no, to God, true story. Lou was fantastic. He was. He was fun to work with and and uh, super positive guy. Always had a. Always had sort of a big vision for where to go and stuff. So yeah, you're right. I mean, it's. Um, you know, when when you reached out to me and you said, "Hey, I'm doing something new," and I started digging into it, and we're going to talk about that tonight. Um, you know, my first thought was. Um, you know, networking is changing because of containers and because of these new things. And, um, but I went, boy, Chris, Chris has a whole bunch of experience from having done this before and dealing with not just networking, but dealing with, you know, these, uh, cloud management systems and kind of the interaction between the two of them and, and, you know, how things are changing. So it's a, feels like it's, like you said, it's a natural progression of what you learned in the past kind of feeds and, and builds on what you guys are building now.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, another thing that, uh, you know, you and I talked about in in advance is that, you know, the the whole term SDN has sort of morphed into become everything and everything. And it's sort of almost to its own detriment. And, you know, one of the things that that I've had to that I have struggled with myself is like, how do you parse SDN? What the heck does that actually mean? because everybody uses it, sort of, it's almost like a throwaway term. And, and what's helped me is, you know, to recognize that networking is such a big uh, industry, and there are a lot of special areas of specialization. And then, just like, you know, network specialization, there's areas of software-defined network specialization. Yep. And, you know, for me, what I have found, it, it's it's quite helpful to sort of just uh, give, um, you know, put things in different buckets. And, and sure. what's been helpful to me is sort of, you know, break up the whole SDN, Category into a couple of uh, more meaningful buckets, and I'll, and I'll just, just rattle them off here for you. I, sure. I have one that I call the Enterprise SDN, mm-hmm. and the Enterprise SDN is what people generally understood um, uh, VMware NSX to be a virtual network overlay with tunnels and encapsulation and all that stuff. And and really the uh, the objective of Enterprise SDN was to do what vCider did, which was, hey, I want a VLAN, and I want this VLAN anywhere I want to go and be able to build, you know, vMotion, uh, I mean, build, build apps that re- that can take advantage of vMotion in my in my environment. And that's what SDN can do, that's what NSX can do, and I call that Enterprise, XD, uh, Enterprise SDN. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, that's really different than a whole other... Very important area of SDN, which uh, I think people are starting to call, you know, software-defined WAN or a WAN SDN, and and that's a very focused solution to optimize the way people use their telco you know, and internet service provider links to optimize that um, that uh, that network. And uh, so I, I think of uh, 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 SD WAN as a uh, an SDN approach, but very different from enterprise SDN, right? So I think that's helpful. And then also another thing that gets really complicated and intertwined with uh, SDN is is the things that um, at and and Comcast and Verizon and Deutsche Telekom are are trying to do to automate and virtualize their own back-end infrastructure. You know, I call that carrier SDN. And there's a whole bunch of initiatives around building dedicated controllers to virtualize uh, network functions, to reduce the capital cost of building out a carrier backbone. I call that carrier SDN. But, you know, that's very different. It's very important from, uh, from a telco provider, but very, very different from NSX and very, very different from uh, the SD-WAN products. So that, I think that's very helpful. But, but also, Brian, what, what uh, uh, I take away from this as well is that, you know, as we look forward to the way new applications are being developed, specifically uh, targeted for deployment on cloud infrastructure... Uh, you know, I used to call this uh, Amazon-style apps, and uh, everybody knew what that meant. And uh, 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 fortunately, there's, there's a new name for that, and um, people now call that uh, architectural style cloud-native. Right. So what, um, you know, what I see is that that has sort of taken over the application architecture of choice for new application development. And, and uh, importantly, it doesn't displace legacy applications. They're still going to be around. They're going to need enterprise SDN. But looking forward, I believe a whole new category of cloud-native applications are, is going to be built. And what I recognized uh, while at Cisco and, and my, some other experiences with, with vCyder is that, you know, cloud-native applications have their own very distinctive network requirements that are different than WAN SDN, than carrier SDN, than enterprise SDN. And in fact... There are actually some kind of big, uh, ugly problems with running cloud native applications and things like OpenStack, uh, and and kind of that's the problem that uh, uh, we set out to solve with my new company, yeah. Connie Networks.
1: Yeah, and I and I think you know I think I think the, the categorization you have is is really good. It's I think it's important for folks um, to to kind of think about the you know the the basic things there. You know the the enterprise SDN piece is really you know how do I how do I create essentially a layer two adjacency? Like you said, create a VLAN, make, make things look like they're, they're next to each other, um, for, for applications that don't really want to think about complicated networking in between them. They, they're just kind of built that way. Plus, you know, there's, there's now this big sort of micro segmentation thing, which is mostly focused around. Can I put a a firewall or some sort of security boundary, like right near the virtual machine, right? That's, that's kind of what enterprise is. Um, like you said, the, the NFV function, the carrier SDN function tends to be about how do I virtualize a load balancer, a caching uh, appliance, any, anything that used to be a, a physical hardware box, which was expensive for a carrier to put anywhere, they now want to virtualize it. And and I think that the interesting thing is, you know, people people tend to go, okay, networking's networking is networking. And then, like you said, when you start putting it into places like Amazon or you put it into Azure... A lot of those basics that that we used to take for granted, like I can find a, a neighbor, I, I can send out a broadcast on a wire and and find a neighbor, or a multicast on a wire and find a neighbor, or you know I'm going to have some sense of what my adjacencies look like, or you know I'll be on the same subnet. Like a lot of those, you kind of you can't take for granted anymore because of the way that exactly. Amazon does networking, because of the way they do security groups, and so it it does sort of mandate a new kind of you know, intelligence around the networking stuff. And I think that's right where exactly. you guys are trying to be the sweet spot for. Exactly. So here,
0: let me tell you a funny story from the vCider experience. So I'm a networking guy. I know the difference between a, a layer two and a layer three network. I know what broadcast domains are. So I'm thinking, well, of course, they're going to need layer two broadcast domains. Naturally, of course, they're going to need it. So we had this overlay technology that could be apl- deployed inside of Amazon and it basically built a VLAN, which was a flat, flat layer 2 broadcast domain. So I'd talk to Amazon developers and I'd say, I got this great thing for you. It brings a VLAN into Amazon. It gives you a flat layer 2 broadcast domain. You can ARP, you can run your SIFS, you can run your, you know, your Microsoft applications there. And they'd look at me and they'd scratch their head and they'd go, layer 2, huh? Says, I, I, I think I got that. Here, let me show you. Here, And he'd ping. he goes, look, ping, you know, 52, blah, blah, blah. And he says, I can ping that. I I think I got that. Thank you. And I go, holy cow. This was like the eye opening experience of a lifetime. The curtain went up and I said, holy cow, I am interacting with an entirely different developer that really has no interest in the details of what traditionally, you know, network operators, you know, live their lives around.
1: Right, right, right. Which is, you know, we had things like Oracle, you know, Oracle's uh, rack would need a broadcast domain, you know, need to be on the same subnet, you need all these, all these basically high availability uh, services, you know, even things like Cisco HSRP, they all required you to be on the same subnet. And now all of a sudden, because Amazon by default didn't put your stuff, you know, necessarily reachable. People just went, all right, I gotta work around that and, and now exactly. you've got a wholly different mindset. So Exactly. And that was and what you said, you have to work around
0: that. And that was really something that I did not expect is that Amazon has been fantastically successful in training an entire new generation of application developers to work around those things. Yep. Yep. And, and uh well and it's you what, know, to my mind that's an insanely uh high uh, competitive advantage. Yeah. Uh, because and, they to have that developer mindshare.
1: Yeah, and it's, well, and it's another thing that you know a lot of people, I and mean, I remember back in you know, 08, 09, 10, people were saying, well, you know, and this is, this is when you had a lot of the big vendors and they, they still do this, but you know, we're sort of saying like, well, you don't want to put things in the cloud because your application wasn't designed for the cloud and it doesn't need scale and it doesn't need all these things. And, and what you, you, you sort of eventually realized was stuff like, well, it didn't matter if your application needed to scale. Like if your application was built- you know, expecting the network to do a certain thing and that network didn't do it. It didn't matter if you needed two servers or 10 servers, like you were going to have the same problem. So yeah, I think, uh, it's, I'm not sure people still completely understand all the nuances and differences there, but it's, it's important that the people that are helping, you know, these new cloud native environments that, that they're making it as seamless as possible. So let's You know, uh, jumping off from there, let's talk a little bit about about what you guys are doing with with Pawnee and and this this thing you're calling uh, the Romana Project.
0: Great, yes. So, yeah, so the company we started is called Pawnee Networks. And uh, we're going to have a commercial offering that goes around that we have not announced yet. So Pawnee Networks is the sponsor of a new open source SDN solution that's focused on the requirements of cloud native applications. We call it cloud native SDN and the romana project is again open source software that addresses those requirements specifically and what we do is we take a i think a very different approach to solving the problems of networking for cloud native applications and uh, we're able to simplify the solution a great deal because we're not solving the problem of the enterprise lan and we're not trying to solve the vmotion you know provide uh, uh, support for vmotion and some of these other uh, enterprisey kind of kind of applications. So let me uh, let me tell you a little bit about how it works and how that's different. In sort of the sort of the uh, the insight that we had that uh, allows us to do uh, uh, what I'm describing here. So you know, let me start by saying you know maybe a really really simplified, maybe even oversimplified explanation of of what Romana does from a software perspective is is really it kind of takes the whole cloud networking problem and turns it inside out by turning a really complicated network reachability problem into a much, much simpler IP address management problem. Now, let let me go into a little bit more detail to explain that. So, when you think about virtual networking, it's really an effort to build isolated network topologies on top of a fixed physical network underlay. And, you know, virtual networks start by building isolated networks on each host, And then they build an overlay network between all of these hosts so these isolated networks can talk to each other. Well, you know, that is a huge reachability problem. You've got tunnels, encapsulation, routers, VTEPs, BGP, route distribution, EVPN. Holy smokes, your mind just spins with the complexity that goes along with that. And, you know, that's what VXLAN does. Now then, you add on top of that the enterprise requirements, they want to add to that, you know, layer four to seven services, firewalls, load balancing, security, and so forth. You know, that's a really big problem. And, you know, that's exactly what NSX does. Yes. And, you know, that's exactly what I described as what enterprise SDN is, okay? So coming full circle back to that. So what we recognized was that cloud-native applications don't have those complex ne- network topology requirements at all. The only thing they need is... Uh, an IP address that's reachable. And if you can go to the Kubernetes spec and it ha- has almost zero network requirements, you just need a routable IP address. So what that means is that you can take the existing physical network as it already has been built and use it directly because that is it was built to provide endpoint reachability. Whether it was built using a simple layer 2 switch network or a fancy fabric or you know what's common today with large data centers like Google and Facebook or, you know, spine leaf routed layer three designs. It really doesn't matter. But um, you can run cloud native applications on top of that. But importantly, what the physical network does not provide is the isolation mechanism that comes with VXLAN overlays. So really that's what Romana brings to the existing physical network directly, a way to build multi-tenancy into the existing physical network. And the way we do that is by carving up the entire IP address space so that each tenant has its own actual physical network. And isolating networks is something that routers have been doing for decades. Okay, So what we've built with Romana, it's a route controller that configures the Linux kernel on each host to perform standard routing between tenant networks and then add firewall rules with IP tables to provide the isolation. So, now one important remaining problem is to ensure that when an IP address or container is added on the host, it gets the IP address that's within the tenant's network and also maintains the physical network addressing scheme. So, this IP address assignment also needs to be coordinated with Kubernetes or the orchestration system. And Romana all, has this exact system. It's our you know, IP address management system. Okay. So in this way, we can take advantage of route aggregation to avoid running BGP or a, run a distributed key value store like console or etcd for route distribution. In fact, the whole route distribution disappears entirely. So at the, the, the end of the day, what this means is there's no encapsulation, no tunnels, no OVS, no open vSwitch database, no BGP, none of that stuff. It all just disappears. And then... You know, the final, you know, icing on the cake here, Brian, is that, you know, since every endpoint is using a, a physical address that's running on a physical network, all existing physical network devices, security, and management tools that are already in place just work. So, you know, that's really a godsend for the network operator who's there that can do what he's been doing all the, way, all the time and still get the multi-tenancy that they're looking for when they b- deploy these applications. So that's kind of what it does. And just to be perfectly clear, this is not an enterprise SDN. It's not going to support VLANs and overlays. But for the new cloud native style apps, it's a it's a solution that allows people to deploy them on the physical infrastructure, or even in in Amazon without the overlays. Okay, that makes
1: sense. Yeah, no, no, it, it, it starts to make sense, and. and... You know, I'll I'll sort of say this for for, for the audience and the listeners. I, you know, th- this is probably one of those talks that would be be better yeah. if if we had a big whiteboard. Uh, the good news is, um, if you guys are running or in your car or something, um, there's there's pointers in the show notes for this uh, to to all the documentation. Chris's team does a really nice job of, of mapping on this all out. So lots of visuals uh, for people that are, that are big into networking. You get to see kind of how all this breakdown works in terms of tenancy, where the isolation is, how the addressing stuff is meant. So my, my advice to people listening is just kind of soak it in. Don't, don't feel like you have to kind of mentally draw it out in your head. Cause, cause Chris's team uh, has, has kind of already done that. You can go back and take a look at this stuff and, and dive into it much, much deeper. Um, so yeah, so that that stuff is is sort of fascinating because, the, the you know the trick with with these cloud native applications is, um, it, you know you have a couple of principles that are very different, right? One of them is, um, you know the the services are, are are very decoupled, so you don't have these sort of natural patterns that you had with with client server where it's like all right, uh, you know load balancers, uh, maybe a firewall in between there, and then another you know like it where stuff kind of intersects with each other is a little bit can can be kind of random sometimes, depending on when a service is added um and the other thing is these services um you know may end up sort of having a very long life and in other cases may have a very short life and so you need a mechanism that's fairly dynamic to figure out okay what exists, and then like you said, you know get at it its most basic things, like an i p address can you walk us through just maybe like a a common you know let's say somebody builds a a microservices based application. Maybe it's got eight or nine services and it runs across a couple hosts. Can you give us a sense of kind of, you know, break us down the basics of what's going on on those machines? Uh, how, do the, how do they figure out where a service is and, and some of those basic things? Sure,
0: sure. So, you know, very fundamental to the whole cloud native architectural style is the idea that a, um, a service is built up from replicated service endpoints. The whole pet versus cattle yep. metaphor applies directly here. There, there is no regard for this virtual machine as compared to that virtual machine. These things can pop up at, at, at random, willy-nilly. Kubernetes, actually, that's their whole, you know, their intelligence actually is in its ability to basically schedule the the uh, creation of these uh, service endpoints wherever they need to be, whenever they need to uh, occur. So they're dynamically being created and shut down, and they can show up on any host anywhere. Right. So that's sort of really intrinsic to the whole architectural style of, of, of cloud-native applications. So, uh, and again, it, it comes, comes back to what the, um, uh, the, uh, the network re- networking requirements are. So the way this would work with, uh, you know, the, the Romana project would be, the um, uh, as I said, the a, a tenant would get at, uh, an entire network to themselves, okay. and then they could they could choose to carve up that network however they wanted to, and what is logical, you know, uh, getting back to your your question about uh, microservices and the whole cloud native architectural style. Very often, people build up services out of replicated endpoints, and that collection of endpoints is a grouping of endpoints uh, that uh, is known as a service. Uh Well, what what we can do with our networking approach is to define the boundaries of that service to also be the natural boundary of the network. And sort of that one-to-one mapping between a microservice and an actual real network actually simplifies a whole bunch of operational uh, logistics. So, for example, uh, being able to apply security rules to all those different individual endpoints really means I just need to apply a security rule to the route, to the gateway, to those endpoints. So, again, the complexity of managing the security and the access collapses by taking advantage of the natural um, segmentation that comes with these... these, uh, uh, the, these, these networks that uh, Romana can, uh, can can manage. So the way this actually would work is you could define a service and that service would have a physical network associated with it, an address range. And it would have a, a, a tenant uh, identifier as well as a segment identifier. And then whenever Kubernetes launched an endpoint or a pod on that service, our IP address management would be sure to assign it an IP address that's within the appropriate range and to be honest that's all it needs to do because at that point the network has already been configured to accommodate that network this is just another network another endpoint on that same network that exists so the work that needs to be done is is uh, very uh, very quite straightforward all it has to do is issue an IP address to that endpoint and then its job is done. There's no BGP, there's no convergence, there's no route distribution. And that, again, really simplifies the way the, uh, these um, applications can be deployed. And then getting back to your, uh, your earlier question about uh, the, um, the speed with which these things might change, since you don't have to inject a new route into the network and you don't have to let BGP distribute in the routes to converge you can do this much much faster again it's all statically configured and all you have to do is load the endpoint bring up the interface and you're done and that allows and supports that velocity of change that people expect when they're building out these these uh, new cloud native apps this is a little this is a little a little forward uh looking i don't think people are a lot of people are there yet but as we look forward and you hear what people want to do this is exactly uh the the future that that they envision.
1: Yeah, and I think there's there's a couple of really important points in there that uh, you know we should make sure we kind of pull out. So, you know, when we're when we're talking, you know, we, we've talked a lot on the show about containers and Docker, and the reason people like it, you know, is part of it is it's it's very easy, it's very portable, right? You know, developers can write what they want, but the other thing is containers are fast. I mean, they boot super fast, they come up really quickly, they can get torn. I mean, they're essentially like processes. You know, you have to sort of connect the dots and go. If I'm going to have this environment that is super fast to come up and run, I can't have these these networks waiting to converge, right? I can't wait for you know DHCP plus a route to update exactly. plus a flapping route. So, so that's really important, right? So you're you you're exactly pri- right. Your well, you know, Brian, fast network that's really important. You know, Brian, you really touched on a, a
0: very important but extremely subtle point when it comes to the networking side of Containers and networks because it uh, sort of the devil's in the details. Yep. And you know, you go to a, a you go to DockerCon and they talk about the lifespan of a of a container being I don't know what it was. It was it like eight seconds or some crazy thing like it's, that? It's
1: it's less than minutes in a lot of cases. Yeah.
0: And then then you realize, well, wait a minute. That means some of these things might live for literally, you know, five seconds, less than three seconds. And how do you get the network to respond? and provide access in that time? Well, first I, I can tell you, you can't. Right. The network just doesn't allow for it. Right. So there's a, sort of that, uh, that uh, you know, elephant in the room that nobody's really gotten to that point to even appreciate that problem. And again, this is a little forward thinking. Again, I don't think people are, are bumping up against this. But again, uh, as I hear the conversation around what people want to do with containers, just the way you describe it, I look and say, that's not going to work. That's just not going
1: to work. Well, and, and the other thing that I think is is, is important, and, and again, this is sort of a subtlety, but connecting the dots is, you know, we, we've talked on past shows about things like immutable infrastructure and this idea of sort of, you know, you're defining it as if it's code, you know, defining what your environment's going to look like because if it, if it falls down or you want to expand it, you want it to look exactly the way you want it to look. And and the systems aren't sort of standalone anymore, right? Like you like you said, something like Kubernetes or or any of these scheduling tools, like a Docker Swarm or something. It essentially is saying, um, this is what I want the environment to look like. I'm going to kind of keep track of it. If something dies, I'm going to rebuild something else. It's it's got to have a system that that has that same sort of describability, immutability, you know codability, you know, it's sort of codified and, and you've got to talk between these systems. And that's, that's really different than we had in the past. I mean, in the past you had, you know, an application that sort of knew about its other application components, but you had to worry about stuff like, well, if it falls over, which order will it come back in? You know, will mm-hmm. it, will the, will the database come up before the things authenticate to the database? You know, these new systems in the way that they're interconnected, they come back at least in theory, they come back exactly the way you wanted them to come back. Right. And you've got to have system components, not only at the application layer and the container layer, but at the network layer that can kind of work in that mindset. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Fun stuff. Fun, yeah. fun stuff. Very interesting stuff. Yeah. And I, you know, I know, you know, back in the day it was, I remember people like, like Arista were doing this where, you know, they would, they would tap into vCenter and find out what you know VMs were being built and they would sort of build MAC addresses in, in the in the network. So, you know, a lot of this stuff isn't totally new, but the more and more you're building environments that are rapidly changing, are rapidly scaling, you have to sort of build that to be an automated function. You know, you can't yeah. rely on so it's it's cool that you guys are, are taking the learnings from the past, you're you're moving it forward into into a space that, you know, like you said, probably is much more relevant. Um, than you know, maybe what VLANs were a few years ago and so forth. So that's, that's very, right. very cool. Well, listen, um, I, like I said, to, you know, before, um, you know, some of this stuff, you kind of have to visualize it. It's good to see that the, the awesome thing about all this stuff nowadays is, you know, that there's, there's open code to go play with this. You know, when, when you guys, when you guys release this, there'll be code, it'll be an open source. It's all written in go. So it'll kind of natively plug into stuff. Um, Give us a sense, because you know, we're recording this a little bit before you guys are kind of launching um, you know as soon as this goes out there like give, give folks a sense of how do they get in touch with you, where do they find sure. the code, all that sort of good stuff.
0: Great, yeah, I'd love to Brian. so yes, uh, the code will be available. We're opening up the repos on Monday, February 1st, so while you, if you're listening to this now, I'm sure it's uh, available for you to check it out, and that's available on github at github/ Romana. Uh, the project site is romana.io, and there's a ton of information there. Uh, Brian's already mentioned that. There's diagrams and backgrounders and all sorts of interesting information there. Uh, you can reach uh, any of us uh, at um, info at romana.io. So lob a question over there if you have any questions. Uh, if you go to that repo, you'll, you'll uh, see some uh, demos that allow you to build a complete OpenStack cluster in EC2 with uh, the Romana uh, cloud-native SDN underneath. So it allows you to build isolated tenants without an overlay inside of EC2. So that demo is available right now if you go there now. Yeah. Um, you can reach me at uh, chris at romana.io. Uh, I tweet at chris underbar Marino, at chris underbar merino. And uh, for anybody that's in the Bay Area that happens to be listening to this podcast before uh, February 11th, which is in about a week or two, uh we are slated to be presenting at the uh Bay Area Kubernetes meetup on the 11th. Oh, that's uh
1: that's, a, that's
0: a, So um that one's growing very very fast, JJ. It is really crazy. is. Or, or it's, it it, it really it. is. Yeah.
1: Very cool. Well,
0: we have a Slack channel, slack. I'm sorry, romana.slack.com. Again, all that stuff is in, is available on uh on the project site.
1: So yeah, that's we'll, probably your first stop. Yeah, we'll get all that in the show notes as well for people. Well, listen, this is this is very, very cool. Like we said, we always like to sort of highlight stuff right when it's kind of coming out of stealth. Um, I, you know, I, I would love to have you guys come back on, uh, you know, at some point three months, six months from now, because I'm, I'm very curious how, um, you know, the interaction between, you know, kind of network teams and operations teams is going to be with, you know, these new tools that kind of have these native uh, developer interfaces to them and how, and how the teams kind of, kind of interact, how they figure out how to, you know, get visibility, of what's going on. So I, I'd love to have you back on in, in a few months and kind of give us some, give us some feedback as to how all this stuff's working out.
0: I'd love to come back, Brian. And, you know, uh, touching on that point, you know, those are the people that I spoke to every day at Cisco yep. CCIEs guys that are scratching their head, trying to figure out how the heck am I going to build an overlay? What the heck does that mean? Right. So yeah, that uh, I would love to t- to talk about that. That's probably uh, an entire show's worth of uh, of interesting um, uh, interesting uh,
1: issues. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, very cool. Well, Listen, I'm going to wrap it up with that. Um, you know, as I said to everybody, uh, all the notes and you know where to find Chris and where to find all the the information on, uh, on Pawnee and, and the Romano project will be in the show notes. So, uh, don't feel like you, you some some of the stuff might have might have needed to be visualized. Um, you know, with that, I'm going to wrap it up. Uh, as always, thanks to everybody who's been making contributions to the Krispy Kreme challenge that's coming up in a couple of weeks. And uh, we will talk to everybody uh, next week. Thanks.
0: Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net
1: to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media.